Psalm 63 is where we are today. We will be concluding our series of September in the Psalms because you know what? This is the last Sunday in September. Today, one thing that we see from this text is very much about David's relationship with the Father. It's David's relationship with the Father. And we can see that in four different aspects. And I'm going to walk through four different aspects of his relationship with the Father. The first thing we see is there is pursuit in the relationship. There is a pursuit in the relationship with the Father. There is also, as you look there, there is praise in the relationship with the Father. We see that in the next set of verses. Normally, I am not one that everything has to alliterate, but it kind of just works itself out today. In the next set of verses that we'll be looking at in 6 through 8, we see uh, there is provision in the relationship. And in the last verses, verses 9 through 11, we will see protection in the relationship. We see that here in our text as we walk through that today. Now, if you came through and you saw the bulletin tables, you probably saw one of these, and I hope you picked one of these up. It's seven keys to healthy relationships. Maybe you picked one of those up. If you did not, you can grab one on your way out. There's still some, I believe, on the tables as you go through. And this is from Love Worth Finding, and uh, I'm going to walk through that in just a moment. But I've got two different uh, ways, uh, non-biblical, non-biblical uh, steps to a healthy relationship. And then biblical comes from Love Worth Finding. That is Adrian Rogers' ministry, Love Worth Finding. Some of you may have already known that. But from uh, psychologytoday.com, this is something as I was researching this week, they wrote an article in January 13th of 2023. It's the 11 most desirable qualities in a partner. And here is what they say are the 11 most desirable qualities in a partner or in a relationship. And that is humility, fairness, translucence. And you may say, what is that? Well, that's a mixture of honesty, authenticity, and transparency. So we've got humility, fairness, translucence, courage, um, being interesting, which is interesting in itself, resilience, accountability, Humor, nurturing, chivalry. Now, this is not a Christian. Chivalry and uh, comfort with self. That was from psychologytoday.com in an article that they wrote. Now, in Love Worth Finding, if, if you picked up one of these, then you see what Love Worth Finding uh, finds important to a healthy relationship. And it is love, humility, service, patience, acceptance, affection, and forgiveness. And then there's a question on there. What is one key area that you can work on today? So there are some keys to healthy relationships for each one of us. Well, today we're looking at four aspects. There, this, is not, this is not extensive. It doesn't cover all of them. But four aspects. There is pursuit in a relationship. There is... Um, there is praise in the relationship. This is obviously talking about that uh, between you and God, uh, David and God at this time, provision and protection. So as we look at this, uh, in a relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you and I can find these key qualities in there. But we cannot be content with how our relationship begins. I mean, could you imagine if you were content with how your relationship began with your husband or wife or, or with your children or with a friend? 
Uh, you want that relationship to grow. You want it to mature and be better and stronger. And so we can't just, just have just where the relationship begins and that be it for all of eternity or for all of our time on earth with whomever that may be. Today, we're going to look at David's relationship with God and how David pursues and praises while God provides and protects. In a growing, maturing relationship with the Lord, we should find ourselves pursuing and praising while relying on God's providing and protecting. Look there in verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 63. David writes this poem when he was in the wilderness of Judah. He writes, O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water, so I have looked for you. Where? In the sanctuary. To see your power and your glory. David is pursuing God in the relationship. He's not just content with where it was. He wanted the relationship to be stronger and better. And in the original language, this very first line, it, in, in my Bible, I have a New King James. It says, Oh God, you are my God. But in the original language, David wrote, confirming his devotion to God, it would have read like this, Oh God, my God, you are. My God, you are which gives a little bit more of an emphatic statement that David is making toward God. David begins his passionate desire to pursue God in the relationship. And he strengthens this, this passionate desire. He strengthens this language to enforce his heart's desire by saying, My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. He, he gives us this, this idea. Just consider this. David knew this is a dry land. He's in the wilderness. He's hiding out from cave to cave trying to stay away from Saul. And he is in a dry land. David knew there was no water. But here we see David has such a heart's desire to pursue this relationship that where there isn't water, he pursues anyway. He pursues anyway. When we consider this in our own lives, where is our passion in the pursuit of our relationship with Christ? Where is that passion? Where is our sacrifice and our longing for water when we know in our finite minds there is none, yet God in his infinite knowledge can supply? Where we do not see God can place things. We might not see what's on the horizon. We may not see what God has in store for us, but we faithfully follow Him. We faithfully pursue Him in relationship. And those things that we may not see, God is just waiting to place them before us as we obey and as we pursue Him. We've got to pursue God in our lives. So where where will you and I find the Lord? Well, we should look in the sanctuary. David says, so I have looked in the sanctuary. That's where God the Father is sitting today. He is enthroned in heaven, ruling and reigning. So we look for him in his sanctuary and we see him there. And, and this is the place of God where he resides. He's on the throne and in that place he resides with power and glory. He resides with power and glory. And so we, we see him. We desire to see him. Lord, come down, we pray. 
We know the Lord is present among us because if we've been saved by the grace of God, we are indwelt, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So God is among us, but we want his manifest presence. We want him to come and be with us in power and glory. That's how we want him to be with us. If you and I truly desired this, our hearts would be full of joy. Our hearts would be full of joy. Our lips would be full of his praise. Our hands and feet would be full of his service. Our families would be full of those saved by grace. And our congregation and others would be growing and maturing. We must pursue Christ in the relationship. David also kind of gives us in this, in this very early portion of this text, he says, early will I seek you. I'm going to talk about that some more in a moment at the conclusion about uh, between early in the morning to seek him and then to remember and meditate on him at night. He walks us through his daytime routine, if you will. David is modeling to us a healthy, strong prayer life. What does Jesus say in his model prayer, our Father who art in heaven? What does David do? Oh God, you are my God, so I look for you in the sanctuary. David knew how the prayer should work before Jesus gave in the New Testament the model prayer. When we pray, we pray, God, you are my God. I look for you in your sanctuary. Uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. My soul longs for you. I want to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I long for you. My flesh longs for you. This is not just a soul thirst. This is a bodily thirst that says, God, come, I need you. I grow weary of doing what you asked me to do. I need you for, for vitality of soul and vitality of flesh. I need you. I need you. In a dry, thirsty land where there is no water, I need you, God. I need you with me. There should be a pursuit of of God in our lives, not just a Sunday morning pursuit, not just a Wednesday pursuit. This is an everyday early will I seek you. This needs to be a daily pursuit of Christ, a daily pursuit in the relationship. Point number two, if you look there, verses three through five, there should be praise in the relationship. There's only one worthy of it, so let's give it to him. In verses 3 through 5, because your loving kindness is better than life. Boy, that's a, that's a profound statement that David makes. Your loving kindness is better than life. Because if, if, even if I were to die, your loving kindness is still better. It's still better. My life is, is, is yet but a vapor. Let's keep reading. My lips shall praise you. Verse 4, thus I will bless you while I live I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with moral and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. There should be praise in the relationship. There should be praise in the relationship. When we pursue Christ, there can be nothing but an outflow or overflow of praise from our lives. Because if you're, if you're pursuing him, you're going to find him. And when you find him, you're going you're gonna to be excited. You're going to have joy in your heart. You're going to see blessings because God is a God that blesses. God is a God that loves. God is a God that gives grace. God is a God that shows mercy. And when we pursue him and we find him, we're going to find those characteristics that are true of him. And then we're going to praise him for it. 
When we pursue Christ, there's nothing but an overflow of praise from our lives. David had experienced the loving kindness of the Lord, so from his mouth praise shall resound. We are too quiet a people. We are too quiet a people to have been truly changed by the grace and loving kindness of our God. We are too quiet a people. David says that while he is living, he will bless the Lord. David was in a dangerous place. He was running from Saul because Saul had lost the blessing and anointing of the Lord and wanted to kill David. He knew David was next in line and had already been told to him. Saul was upset about it. He was upset because he had lost the anointing, which it was all because of Saul's disobedience that he had lost the anointing of God. And so God had to find somebody who would be a man after his own heart, and he found David. So David uh, was running for his life But yet David even still respected that king that God had put in place and he wouldn't raise his hand against the Lord's anointed. But yet we see David, he's still going through trials and difficulties, hiding in caves and in the wilderness and trying to stay alive for God's glory and for God's kingdom's sake and for the people of God. So when when David stated, while I live, he meant he wanted each moment to be a moment of praise for God's loving kindness. He said, while I live... He said, because of your loving, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus, I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to lift up my hands. There are some of those hymns and those beautiful songs that we sung, that Behold Our God song that we opened up with. Oh, my goodness, the lyrics of that song are so amazing. Seated on the throne, come let us adore him. Behold our king. Nothing can compare. Nothing can compare to our God. He's amazing. He's wonderful. His loving kindness is better than life. But we're quiet. We're quiet. Oh, oh I'm saved by grace, but I'm saved to have a muzzle put on my mouth. I don't think so. God didn't save you to muzzle you. God saved you to free you. God saved you to free you. And not so you can go about and do all the things, the sinful things, and then say, well, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. God saved you to freedom, to speak for him, to praise his glorious name, to let people know my salvation is of the Lord. My freedom is of the Lord. My joy is of the Lord. Not so that we can go do whatever we very well please and then just say, oh, God will forgive it. That's not true salvation. You ain't been saved. Trampling on God. We don't do that. David says that while he's living, he's going to bless the Lord. And he says, while I live, I'm going to moment by moment praise God for his loving kindness. Are we that passionate in our pursuit and praise of God? I would say we're not. Speaking on my behalf, I can't speak for you exactly, but I'm going to tell you something. I could be a whole lot more grateful. I could be a whole lot more praise, uh, giving praise offerings unto my God. Should be, yes. When was the last time you raised your hands in praise or prayer to the God who chose to save you from hell? When was the last time you did that? When was the last time you raised your hands uh, in, in that? When, to, when is the last time you raised your hands to the God who saved you from times of sickness that you may have known, known about? To save you from accidents and incidents you may have never known about. To save you from bad relationships you may have never known about. He, to save you from bad relationships you were in. 
When was the last time you've raised your hands in praise and prayer? When was the last time you raised your hands in praise or prayer because God saved your children or grandchildren from their own poor decisions? God saved your children or grandchildren for your poor decisions for them. Now is the time. Now is the time. Raise those hands in praise and prayer. Glorify the Lord. Be thankful for what he's done. We can raise them in times of song. We can raise them in times of prayer. We can raise them in times of giving. We can raise them in times of preaching. We can raise our hands because we know where our help comes from, who the answer is, and to whom all glory, honor, and praise is due. That is to Jesus. Many years ago, uh, and some of y'all may know this fella. His name was Carmen. And he said in one of his songs, he, he said, um, he said, I always heard if you knew the answer, you raised your hand. He said, how many of you out here today know the answer? And I know the answer. Ask Jesus. Jesus is the answer. So I raise my hand because I know the answer. And when we know the answer, we can raise our hands. We should glorify him. When David speaks of his soul being satisfied with moral and fatness, you see that there um, in verse 5. My soul shall be satisfied as with moral and fatness, and my lips shall praise you with joyful lips. He is shouting it out. He's raising his hands when he speaks of that. That's the most highly valued and nourishing parts of food in their time. He said, God, you give me everything I need. We talked about that this morning, Sunday school. When I first came up here, I was thinking about, I'm going to talk a little bit about Sunday school. So I said, no, that's going to get me off my, I don't have that in my scripture. And y'all know, y'all want me to finish on time for once. But, but listen, when we think about that, what was Jesus' goal? Jesus' goal in that whole Sunday school lesson was so that his disciples may rest. They may rest. Well, then they were so busy. They come back. We did what you said. We taught and we did all this. We've come back. Thank you, Lord. Jesus listened to them. Jesus said, let's, let's get away from here to a remote place. Let's get some rest. Well, what happened? The people heard about it. They beat them to the point so it wasn't remote anymore. It was filled up with folks. Around 15,000 folks, if you really consider wives and children being there as well. I know it's the feeding of 5,000, but they say that's only counting of the men. So that's a whole lot of folks, man. And if you know, and some of these folks, they might not have been extroverts. They might have been introverts. So they might have been really wore out. Man, it's all 15,000 folks full of folks. They say, man, we can't feed all these folks. It's going to cost like 200 denarii to feed all these folks. God, Jesus says, figure it out. So, so they figured it out. They didn't really figure it out. They got five loaves of two fish. Jesus figured it out. But after Jesus fed all these folks, sat them down in hundreds and fifties, what did he do? They fed all of them, and everyone was filled to when they were what? Satisfied. Satisfied. David says, my soul shall be satisfied with the morrow and fatness. But not only were 15,000 satisfied, how many baskets did they pick up at the end? Twelve. How many disciples and apostles were there? Twelve. He was satisfying them. Our God's a satisfying God. He wants us to be satisfied. And we're satisfied not in us, not in the food itself, but satisfied in the one who provides for us. There is provision in the relationship. And David, right here in this, he's saying, God, I'm so thankful. I am so satisfied with this. David is saying, your loving kindness fulfills me in every way for my benefit. 
And due to your loving kindness, my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. You know, I think about a recent visit I had with Miss Linda Jackson and how she just rejoiced in how her salvation was her victory through Jesus. She told me of how she loves to turn up her Alexa to modern hymns. She'll say, hey, Alexa, play modern hymns. You know that first song we sang, Behold Our God, that's considered a modern hymn. Written by a group called, I believe it's City of Light, that sings that one. And they sing a lot of hymns. They, they call them modern hymns. And just like the worship this morning, uh, she loves to lift up her voice to the Lord. When is the last time you've recently lifted up your voice to the Lord? I don't know, my neighbors probably get sick of me lifting up my voice to the Lord. I put in my headphones, I'm cutting grass, and I'm singing at the top of my lungs. i got to be able to hear it over the lawnmower. <laughs> right? So, I mean, sir, I don't know. You'll have to ask the neighbor. <laughs> I know the Lord's pleased with it because he knows I love him, and I love to sing. I love to sing to the Lord, and he's been good to me. He has satisfied me. I mean, are there things that I say, Lord, I wish you'd do this, you know, and do that. But um, uh, at the same time, God says, why? I can meet your need. Be content in me. A new car is not going to make you content. A new TV is not going to make you content. A new house isn't going to make you content. But God says, be content. Be satisfied in me. Be satisfied in me. We can be satisfied in the Lord today, just as he is, just as David was there. Be satisfied with the Lord. Third point is provision in the relationship, verses 6 through 8. Provision in the relationship. David wrote, when I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. God provides security for you and me. He provides for us by being our help and by being what upholds us. David, in verses 6 through 8, recalls the Lord while preparing and getting ready for bed. Our worship and reflection on God can not only be in the public, but primarily in the private. That's really where our worship should be. When we are alone, does our public displays result from a private time with God, or does our public display result from an effort to please people? How does Our public displays of praise should come from a private devotion of prayer. That's what that should stem from. you got a healthy prayer life, you're going to have a healthy praise life. It's just how it's going to work. If you've got a healthy prayer life, you're going to have a healthy praise life. And we see David. This is a prayer. This is a prayer of David. Let us begin in the night watches where only God watches. And we may then, in true heart, finish publicly what we began privately. Now, some of you have routines. And some routines become mundane over time, don't they? You know, your night watch routines, if you will. You know, 
I think about my routine. It's usually get up from the couch, walk the dog, handle the cats. Uh, sometimes you, I mean, we, we work together on this sometimes, but sometimes this is, this is me, all right? Uh, walk the dog, handle the cats, turn off the lights, set up the coffee, go to the restroom, set the alarm, and then lie down. I don't know what your night watch routine is, but somewhere in there, I pray, you and me, that we adapt that bedtime routine to include a time of meditation on the Lord. That we have a time of meditation on the Lord. Now listen, it's a whole lot easier just to remember and meditate at night and seek in the morning. You see how David did that? He said in verse 1, I'll seek you in the morning. At night, I just I remember you and I meditate on you. Why is that? Because when you've got the peace of God in your heart, you can go to sleep so much better when you remember the Lord and meditate on his goodness throughout the day. Seek him in the morning. Remember him in the evenings. That's a way to get a good night's peaceful rest. Seek him in the morning. Remember him in the evenings. I know for me, the reason why I don't need to seek the Lord in the evenings is because when I read late at night, it's a recipe for early sleep. Right? Some of y'all, I don't know, maybe y'all deal with that, maybe not. But if I open up a book and I try to read, it don't take but a minute if it's at night. I'm out. But determine not to let your weariness overcome your thankfulness. Determine not to let your weariness overcome your thankfulness. So seek the Lord in the morning. Remember and meditate on him in the night. Meditate on the Lord. Meditate on his word. But we must first remember. We cannot continue to go on in our normal routines forgetting God. We must remember to meditate. Meditation is not how many consider it today, adding all types of Eastern mysticism to it. Meditation is a focused mind on the word of God to accomplish the will of God in our lives. So I call, you to, I call you to a challenge to add meditation on God each night. You see, God provides for our lives through help and strengthening. We return with pursuit and praise. God's provision, loving kindness, power, glory, help, and upkeep should lend to a joyful soul that is full on God's goodness to us. You know, some translations, when you read this in verse 8, my soul follows close behind you. Some translations translated as my soul clings to you. And this is a sense of personal intimacy. And the word clings is the same word used to express the bond between husband and wife. So it's talking about, he says, my soul follows close behind you or my soul clings to you. It's just like a husband and wife should cling one to the, to the other. But now in my translation, in the New King James Version, it says my soul follows close behind you. So this is symbolic of how a soldier uh, travels behind the shield that he carries. This thought suggests devotion and obedience to God. As he stays close to God, he is upheld by God's right hand. We should pursue God and praise God for his provision, his providing through his help and upholding. The New Living Translation renders the latter part of this verse where it says, your right hand upholds me. The New Living Translation renders it this way. Your strong right hand holds me securely. 
Your strong right hand. I've heard uh, Bill Palmer. Uh, I, I love Brother Bill. Uh, loves the Lord. And one thing that Brother Bill Palmer would always say, he'd, and he said this all the time in his prayer, he says, Lord, your righteous right hand upholds me. And I always love to hear him say that. I don't know what it is about him saying that. It's just special, you know. And so uh, I always think about that whenever I read this text. And this is emphasizing the power of God in his hold on the believer. And when God has you, there's nothing to fear from anyone else. He is strong and secure. And from his provision, we can clearly transition to knowing his protection. There is protection in the relationship. Look at verses 9 through 11. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go down into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory, but the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. So there is protection in this relationship. When we have God is our Father, when we have a relationship with God the Father through God the Son, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, sealed to the day of redemption, there is protection with that relationship. David knows that at this point in his life, Saul, along with those who share Saul's viewpoint, are desiring to kill him. That's what they're trying to do. Now, you and I are not David, but in life, we do share some commonalities with David. We do. David was being hunted by Saul, who had lost his anointing from the Lord. David's being hunted by Saul. You and I may find ourselves being misrepresented, maliciously misquoted to try and destroy our character and our heart. You may have experienced that sometime in your life. I hope you haven't, but you may have. You and I must determine how we will respond in such situations. Will we pursue Christ in prayer and praise? Or will we turn to ourselves and become defensive, divisive, and angry? How are we going to handle that? We need to go to the Lord. We need to say, oh God, you are my God. God, you are my God. I'm not saying that, I'm not saying in life that we will have no emotion or we will have no pain. We will. Many of you probably have experienced that in some level. But where do we go with that hurt, pain, and feelings that are destructive? Where do we go? We go to our God. That's where we go. And we see David modeling to us the way to communicate to God. He communicates this whole Psalm 63 as a prayer. He communicates through pursuit, through praise through his provisions, and through his protection. David mentions where and how the enemies of God's people go. He says there in verse 9, they shall go into the lower parts of the earth. This is another reference to Sheol. This is where God's enemies and the enemies of God's people will go for eternity. They will go to Sheol. He tells us how they will get there. They will die by the sword. They will fall by the sword. David doesn't directly reference his own sword which can lead to an understanding that God has his vengeance on the enemies of his and his people. We are at last resort to be the deliverer of such fatal endings. God is the one. The scripture tells us, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. It is not up to us to, to repay. It is God's doing. It is, our, it is our duty, our calling to pray, to pray for our enemies. As I talked about last week, 
It's God's, it's God's work for vengeance against, him, uh, for the, against those who are against him and his people. It is our opportunity to share and preach and pray. That is our opportunity. He also goes on to say, he says, first he says they'll go down to the depths of the earth. They'll die by the sword and they'll become food of jackals for they shall be a portion for jackals. This is to bring attention to the lack of care by those with whom the enemies had created unholy alliances. Listen, when, when people have a common enemy and they're, they're, they're no good and they join together, they don't care about each other. They're just all about the destruction of whoever they have in common, have a common enemy with. So if one of them fall, they're not worried about them. They're going to leave them where they fall. They're going to leave them where they fall. Those who team together to try to thwart the work of God are ultimately for their own self-gratification with little to no regard for those who accompany them in their effort. Being left for the jackals uh, reveals them being abandoned. And that's what David is saying. He's saying, look, they're going to go down to the lower parts of the earth. This is what's going to happen with their soul. They shall fall by the sword. That's how they're going to die presently on the earth. And then how are they going to, their future going to be once they die physically? Their flesh is going to be by the jackals. Their bodies will be abandoned because nobody truly cares for them. None of their friends in the battle care for them because they're all enemies and they're all self-gratifying. They want their own outcome. And when they fall, they're not going to care about them. <laughs> the wicked will not receive honor in death. Their bodies will be left to scavenging animals is what David is saying to us here. But there in verse 11, but the king shall rejoice in God. David concludes by mentioning the king rejoicing, not in the fall of his enemies, not in the crush, the crushing defeat of God's enemies, not in his own victory or his accomplishments. But, God, but David says the king will rejoice in in God. Our rejoicing should not be in our accomplishments. Our rejoicing should not be in our victories. Our accomplishment should not be in the crushing defeat of God's enemies and our enemies. Our rejoicing should be in God alone. And I think that's a lot of times, you know, we, we want to take some kind of credit. We want to get some kind of personal joy, personal acclamation of what's happened. No. God is one worthy to be praised. God is the one who has given us the victory. God is the one who has done all this. One of the greatest tactics of the enemies of God and his people also are lies. Look at that latter part uh, of, the, of that passage of Scripture. It says, but the mouths of those who speak lies shall be stopped. Listen, who is the father of lies? Satan, the devil. That's right, the devil is. Jesus speaks in John 8, 44. Jesus said, and John recorded, He, being Satan, was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. John wrote in Revelation 21, 8, But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, Murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Liars are slanderers. Liars make up false accusations to destroy another person in their effort. 
And David writes that these liars will be silenced. They're going to be silenced. And one day those saying it's acceptable to live in sin will be overthrown. One day those who claim Christ but are sheep in wolves' clothing will be found out. One day those who accuse, who do the work of Satan, we see that in Revelation 12, 10, for the accuser of the brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. So one day those who accuse, who do the work of Satan, will be halted for all eternity. They'll be halted for all eternity. The only thing they will be able to speak will be that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, and that's no lie. Because that's the truth. Truth will be known. And it will be known even to those in the deepest, darkest, abandoned parts of hell. They're going to know that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that is no lie. The word of the Lord concludes with these words in drawing to a finish in Revelation 22, 16 and 17. It says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel, and he's talking about the pastors there in the church, my angel, to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star, and the spirit and the bride. That's you and me, church. They say, come. Let him who hears say, come. Let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. So what is the message from this pulpit, from this word today? Come. Come to Jesus. Oh God, you are my God. Seek him early in the morning. Remember him in the, in the night watches in your room. Come to the Lord. Come to the Lord. And as God's preacher today, I say to you, come. Come pursuing Christ. Come praising Christ. Come to Christ's provision. He'll meet all your needs. Come to Christ's protection for all eternity. I want to call you to come. We are in the last days. I, all you got to do is look around. We are in the last days. And it won't be long. God's enemies will be silenced. Christ will return. We can keep an eye on that eastern sky. I do believe it won't be long. He's going to come. Keep our eyes open. Keep our hearts pursuing. Keep our lips and hearts praising. Keep our minds, our bodies, our lives in the provision of God and in the protection of his strong and righteous, mighty right hand. Because he will uphold you. While everything else falters and fails, we know Jesus never fails. I pray today you know Christ as your Lord and Savior. I pray that you will come. I pray that you will pursue him. I pray that you will praise him. You'll live in the provision of him, and you'll live in the protection of him. Come today. There's no greater decision that you can make than to make Christ the Lord of your life. And then you can cry out and say, Oh God, my God, you are.